Well, we're going to start a new sermon series, um, the series that we started last week. Actually, it's just a two-part series. That will go on, on April 29th on the Partnership Sunday. But if you can have, if you can bring your Bible, if you brought your Bibles, if you can have it open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this series will be called Running the Gospel Race. And we'll talk about how to live this gospel race as a community of Christ. Imagine a church like this. This church isn't that big, but it's divided along different leaders. Some people say, I follow this guy, and the other, other people say, I follow the other guy. I mean, that alone would keep the pastor up at night. But there are more problems, and one of the church members is having an affair with his stepmother. Some in the church talk about how we have freedom in Christ, in the gospel, and so they're doing ethically questionable things. Some people, um, while continuing to come into the church, is suing one another in secular courts. Some, in the same church, like to visit prostitutes, while others think that celibacy is just the only way to go, even if you're married. There are disagreements about men and women's role in the church. There are also prophecies and speaking in tongue, but not always in a helpful manner. It disrupts public worship. And significant number of the, the members of the church do not actually believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, doesn't that sound like a nightmare of a church? It's, all the problems that we have here, I think, at Shatin Church, pale in comparison to the problems that this church had. And this church was actually a historical church. This church wasn't just a church that's sort of out there, but it was actually a church of the Bible. It was, it was the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had all these problems. And we should be thankful that they did, because Paul then wrote to uh, address all these problems, um, to, uh, and, and we get to learn from the writings that he wrote. And at the end, I think what is at the heart of this passage, of this book, is how to live in a community, how to be a church of dysfunctional people, people with real problems, how to be a community, how to, how to be a church of Christ. So, um, as we start this series, the first question that I want to ask is, what would you like to be? What would you rather be? If you were a fish, would you rather be a blowfish or a shark? Blowfish or a shark? Well, in Korea, I used to live... Um, in Korea, we used to eat these blowfish. Um, they're poisonous, but apparently really tasty. Um, but obviously, one of the most, I mean, the most famous thing about these fish is that they puff up. They puff up when threatened. They're just tiny fish that don't seem threatening at all. But when the predator comes, no, when, yeah, its predator comes, um, it puffs up to make themselves seem bigger. Well, sharks, on the other hand, need no introduction. Great white sharks um, are the largest predatory fish in the world. They have 300 serrated triangular teeth that can tear through flesh. And they're torpedo-shaped, streamlined, and fast, and just basically a cool-looking fish. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be a blowfish or a shark? 
You'd rather be a shark, right? Of course you'd rather be a shark. They're filled with substance. They're not just big, filled with the air. They're, 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 they're this filled with substance. They're, they're actually dangerous fish. Well, when asked about the food that has been sacrificed to idols, Paul gives a similar choice to the, uh, to the Corinthian church. He says basically, do you want to be puffed up or do you want to be solid, built up church? Which would you rather be, puffed up or built up? So look at verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, now about the food sacrificed to idols, we know that we, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He says knowledge puffs people up like a balloon. Knowledge makes people feel like there's something. And Paul is writing to a culture that really privileged knowledge. Philosophy was invented in Greece. At the time, Gnosticism was religion of the day, and Gnosticism, that that gnosis, means knowledge, literally. People thought that knowing something actually brought them closer to God. But Paul is decidedly countercultural in this way. He says, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. He doesn't stop there, actually, but he goes on to say in verse 2 that those who think that they know something actually don't know as they ought to know. If I, if I may par- paraphrase, if a person thinks that he has attained some degree of knowledge, he has not yet reached the stage when he has any knowledge at all in any sense of a meaningful sense of the word. And he'll tell us why this is so, but he thinks here love is what's really necessary in knowing. And I think we know, we all know this on some level, experientially. I think um, most recent graduate of seminaries make the worst pastors um, of the church. I know this is the case because I'm one of them, and I have to constantly think about myself. But, you know, the, the first problem with many of them is that because they know something, because they know, because they have studied um, the past three, four years, thinking about, you know, whether, how God is fully, Jesus is fully human and fully God, or um, have come to learn some words in Latin or Greek, or, you know, I, the problem is that because that they know, because they're puffed up in their knowledge, they think they should be the center of attention. <laughs> they think that that they should tell everybody what they ought to know and not listen. The problem is that knowledge makes him or her self-centered. They want to see the world. They want others to see the world in the way that they see the world. In short, what's lacking is really love. What's lacking is being able to stand in the other person's position and listen. What's lacking is this desire to know, is, this, is, is, is what I'm going to say helpful? Is what I'm going to say understandable to the other person? Is what I'm going to say, is that going to build that person up? Or is this just an opportunity for me to be puffed up and display my knowledge? Paul says, 
If you're like that, you don't know as you ought to know. And then he goes on to say in in verse 3, well, the most ancient and the early witnesses say, but whoever loves truly knows, which makes sense, I think, to me in this context. Without love, Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, even knowledge, even knowledge will be just a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Knowledge must be put in the service of the community. Knowledge must be able to say, I'm going to put you first and tell you what will actually help you, not just what I know, what I think you should know. Knowledge must be put in the service of the community to build the body of Christ and not be displayed greedily. Um, Sometimes, and actually, I think what this means is knowing the right way is saying, is being being silent sometimes, not saying the things that you really know. When you know that it'll be, it might be annoying or even destructive at first. If I carefully work out how my fellow Christians will react to my behavior and decide accordingly how I will behave, I will build up the body of Christ. I will put my knowledge in the service of building up the church. So do you want to be puffed up? Or do you want to be solidly built up? So puffer fish or shark? And the second choice that I want to give you is, do you want to be weak or strong? Weak or strong? And I want to say, take some to, to, to say, actually, knowing is actually a good thing. And Paul is not being an anti-intellectual here. Paul wants people to know the freedom that they have in Christ. Paul wants you to know the right thing so you can behave the right way. I mean, he, 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 it's, it's a, he wants people who are, in, who are weak, um, weak uh, in, in their conscience to, 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 to be strong. And he's actually sort of telling you why we can be strong, we can, we, can, we can have freedom in Christ in this passage. And it's better to be, it's true that it's better to be weak with love than being strong without love, but obviously it's better to have both, the knowledge and love together. You know, so when he turns once again back to the, uh, the issue of sac- uh, food sacrifice to idol in verse 4, he says, then about eating food sacrifice to idol, he then tells, him, tells, tells the Corinthian church what they, that they, what they know, what those people who are strong know. Um, and the problem, let me tell you about the problem. The problem was that the meat in the ancient Greece was, um, came from, mostly, came from sacrificial animals. So if they went to uh, Parkinshop, Parkinshop? Parkinshop uh, of Greece, they would find meat there, but meat only, meat probably had been sacrificed to an idol. So in the Greek temple, in temples, Part of this meat was burnt as, um, as offering to these uh, gods, and part of it was eaten there at the temple, and the rest of it was sold in the Corinthian marketplace. So an ordinary person would only have access to the meat uh, that has been sacrificed to idols. And the complicating the problem was uh, the fact that they, many believed strongly and also fearfully in demons and, uh, uh, and evils. 
they were always lurking around and they were always wanting to gain entry into your body and being if this the concern was that if this was meat that has been sacrificed to idols if i eat it won't i be tainted by it and paul says well some are strong they know that actually in verse 4 says idol is nothing at all and there's only one god all the idols are actually nothing because really there are no idols. There are no Apollo or Aphrodite, all the temples that they had there in Corinth. And even if there are those who believe that there are many gods, many idols, he says, as Christians, we know, we know that there's only one God, only one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for, for, whom, we, uh, for whom we live. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live in verses 5 and 6. Regardless of what people believe, he says that strong Christians know that there's only one God. It didn't matter whether they had been sacrificed to idols since it was sacrificed to nothing. No demon lurked around the food. Eating the meat was, uh, that was dedicated to idols wouldn't do you any harm, since they have no power. And the conclusion in verse 8, if you jump down a bit, verse 8 is that food doesn't bring us any near to God, or actually farther away from God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Whether it was food sacrificed to idols presented or food uh, that was offered uh, to our ancestors uh, or whether it's pork or shellfish, Jesus had declared all food clean and eating the right food has nothing to do uh, with us drawing closer to God. And taken to the full, uh, full, full, full extent, this is the gospel message. You know, in a letter um, written to a church church torn by uh, how much of the Old Testament law to apply uh, in Galatians. Paul says, well, it's no longer necessary that people are circumcised. He declares a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's not promoting an anti-intellectual and intellectualism here. He wants people he wants all of us to grow strong in the gospel, know the freedom of the gospel, and why we don't have to be fearful of eating this food. But the problem is, uh, just so that, um, and, and being the weak, uh, people with weak conscience isn't a great thing. Either. If you think about the other side, a lot of people with weak conscience, then will lead, it will lead to judgmentalism or legalism. They're like the Pharisees who believe by keeping these laws, they are bringing themselves closer to God. They judge themselves, but also others according to their standards, the standards that they've made up. And so they are constantly either besought with guilt or pride. It would be one thing if they kept this, the things uh, to themselves, but they also imposed it upon others. So know the gospel. Know the depth of freedom um, that we have in Jesus. And know, I mean, let's study the Bible together and see what Christians should do and shouldn't do. 
where the freedom lies and where the freedom doesn't lie, how Christians should behave in in all these different uh, issues that we face in modern day, we need to study and we we need to get to know the Bible. We need to become, we need to grow stronger. But the problem is, not everybody will be there. Not everybody will be there. And that's what Paul says, goes on to say in verse 7. But not everybody, everyone knows this. Not everyone knows this. He's living in a community and he's talking to a community that has uh, people who know a lot about the freedom of the gospel and people who don't. And what he says here is that our ethics shouldn't be just guided by what we know, what we know to be right and wrong. At the heart of it, our ethics should be guided by love. Would you want to build up or would you want to tear down is the third choice that he gives. Would you want to build up the body of Christ or would you want to tear it down? And so advice to this torn community that he gives is in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. You may know that you have these rights. But what Paul says is you are also free to limit your rights, limit your freedom, and not exercise your rights. Of course, his concern is that if somebody might see you doing something um, that they think is wrong, but by seeing you, they might do that. But they might eat the food that's been sacrificed to idols and think, oh, it's okay as a Christian to eat food that's sacrificed to real idols, real demons. And that, Paul says, is leading people to sin. And in verse 12, he says, this is a sin against Christ himself. He says that if what he eats might his brothers, cause his brothers and sisters to sin in this way, he will never eat that meat again. And Jesus too, of course, said something similar in Mark 9.42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Paul's ethics isn't just guided by my rights, what, 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 what he knows, what he knows to be right. Although it is at least that. He knows that one should never do something that are wrong, and so we should also put our minds to figure out what the right thing to do is. However, there are gray areas in life where people, after studying together, still might disagree on what's right and wrong. And it's at this point we have to ask the question, what is the loving thing to do? Will my actions build the, uh, my brothers and sisters up? Or will my actions tear them down? What is the loving thing to do? Um... And that's the question that we must keep on asking ourselves if we are going to grow as a church. If we're going to meet in small groups, if we're going to actually start conversing with one another about the Bible, about different things about our lives, 
we will run into differences. And first of all, we should put our minds together and to seek out what the Bible says, what God says through it. But we must then ask ourselves, what's the loving thing to do? How should my actions be guided? Um, once again, Hugh Palmer was my boss uh, in my previous church, and uh, one of the stories that he tells, I think, is just great, because he says his friend went to um, uh, a, a, a camp as a speaker, and he said that uh, this, uh, this uh, because he didn't know the people um, in the camp, he went, he made a point to go around every evening to a different table and in, in, introduce him, himself, and he liked a good glass of wine, and, 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 but uh, he wasn't really sure if others would object to it. And so he would always ask first, uh, what would you like to drink? And uh, if that person said uh, Coke or Sprite or something, he also ordered um, a, a soft drink. But then he said well, what he would get mad at was the next day, the same people who ordered Coke or Sprite would go to a different table and order a glass of beer. But he liked a glass of wine. <laughs> and it was, um, it was just so that because both parties, the people sitting at the table, they, were, they, they didn't want to order alcohol because they thought, well, he might be offended by it. And he didn't order alcohol because they thought that, uh, um, yeah, he might, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> they might be offended. They were looking out for one another. It's that sort of community that we must be. What would the other people think, and would this become a stumbling block to their spiritual walk? And I can think of so many areas where this would be so useful. Thinking about wearing suggestive clothing, listening to certain music. I know my rights. I know that this isn't affecting me, but would it be helpful to the other people, to the body around me, for me to listen to this music, watching certain kind of movies. I can, I was thinking about, you know, also uh, we get requests time to time. If a person of different uh, religion is organizing, say a mosque was organizing this drive to um, help the tsunami victims in Japan, how much can we participate in that? Sabbath keeping. How strict should we be and what would be helpful to the community? As we come together each Sunday, we will ask ourselves these questions. And I'm sure there are the, uh, that we should once again put our minds together and to try to figure out what the Bible says. But we have to ask ourselves, what is a loving thing to do? Recently, I um, had a conversation with a person who um, was very charismatic and wanted the church to be to go on the, this way. We could we agreed on the, all the basic things, but some of the things I, I just thought I don't think that's what the Bible says. But if we're to grow together, the, our guiding principle has to be: what is the loving thing to do? We can insist. We can insist on my beliefs and say, this must be right. And so I'm going to tell you you're wrong in a way that it hurts you. Or I can sit back and we can continue to converse together and grow together in the knowledge of Christ. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
And we must, if we're going to be a community, grow together and really seek to honor in our decisions and actions, honor God. And the question of what is most loving for the other person has to be in the forefront of, uh, uh, forefront of our minds. So, a blowfish or a shark, weak or strong, tear down or build up. Well, these are the choices that's given to us as we try to be a community together. And I pray, I pray that as we live as a, a, a community of Christ, that we will continue to grow in substance, the substance of God, which is love. That we will be a community, not as, just as individuals built up, but as a community that's built up in love. Let's pray together. Knowledge builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Lord, help us to be a community filled with love for one another. Lord, we know that it's difficult not to insist on our rights, insist on what we think, what we know to be right. But Lord, allow us to be selfless, allow us to put the other people first, and help us to be a community that always watches out for one another, whose actions are guided by what would be helpful in our walk together as disciples of Christ. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that you will be honored in our loving one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.